Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission and are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word and that through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Good to see everybody. My goodness, there is a tremendous crowd here compared to last Wednesday night. I think it was Pastor Matt and myself. Not that I'm complaining. I was glad to have Pastor and Matt here last Wednesday night. Amen. Welcome to our E family, everyone that's here. And uh, normally I would encourage you to get up and move closer, but in the middle of a pandemic, we'll be okay right where you are. Amen. I know some more folks are making their way back in. If you got your Bibles this evening, we're going to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 8. I'm going to read two verses of Scripture. Kind of the setting, as you're getting there, Israel has crossed over into the Promised Land. They are finally to the point where they should be. Anybody ever been there, that place in life where you wanted to be? Finally, an entire nation of people are reaching their potential. Anybody ever been there? And then catastrophe happens. They're gaining ground. They're, they're no longer talking about promise. They're living in promise. And all of a sudden, Achan, and Ai, and there's destruction, there's sin, there's, there's all of this chaos so we're going to kind of pick up the story here in chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thine hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai and to her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king, only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof you shall take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Amen. You can be seated. So this is picking up this story. And I, I, in my mind, at least, I kind of think that the children of Israel have reached this point where their forefathers and generations and generations and generations have talked about the promised land and God has given it to, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph and now to Moses and all the way down and none of those folks end up in the promised land. But now Joshua has finally crossed over and, and uh, you know, they're, they're coming off the greatest victory ever known to man, right? I mean, Jericho, right? I mean, every kid that's ever been to Sunday school Knows, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, right? Everybody that's ever been to Sunday school knows that. They understand that, right? And, and so at the, what happens here in chapter 7, that, that great victory of Jericho, they walk around the walls and, and they shout and the walls fall down and it is a complete one-sided decisive victory. And the, what happens here is what happens so often in the lives of us as children of God that our victories seem to be short-lived. And so it's not what we want, but sometimes the greatest victories are followed by enormous failure. Anybody? 
right? And for certain, this is the case. And that's happening here. Chapter 7 opens up with a ton of confidence and the, you know, the spies return and they tell Joshua, you know, Joshua, it's not necessary. We don't need the whole army for, for this little town of Ai. Uh, you know, let's just send two, maybe 3,000. That should be enough. And Joshua, you just rest here and you guys take a break. And, and this is the Paul Harvey moment. This is where the rest of the story comes in. You, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know that they're defeated by this little tiny nation of Ai, this big bad army that has spent 40 years preparing, it's routed, and they're running home, and they're defeated, and they've lost significant numbers in the battle. And, and to me, it seems like it's almost always the case when we try to apply a natural approach to a spiritual problem. And, and so I want to talk to us tonight. You can imagine what's going on in their lives, that they're upset and they're worried. I mean, the greatest victory over mighty Jericho is now stained with the, the ugly defeat of little Ai. And certainly Ai was no Jericho, but the defeat and the failure and the shame, they are real. They are very real in their lives. And so they have, in an, in an instant, in a moment of time, they have moved from from victor to victim, and everything that they've gained at Jericho has been lost at Ai. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk to us about making up lost ground, regaining lost ground. You know, we, we, we recognize this. We see this. If a football team gives up too much ground, you know, they, when they should be gaining it, right, it just means that there's a punt in their future. Hopefully there's more time and they can come back, but how about the student who procrastinates too long? And what does it mean? It means that, uh, that there's, a, there's a long night of study that's going to be required to prevent that failing grade. We, we can grasp that. We understand what it means, right? Even, even for us as men and women, for the couple who spends too much money, catching up is just not as easy as it seems like it would, right? Paying off that big credit card that was so easy to slide through that machine, right, is really hard to do. I thought I'd at least get an amen or a half a head nod from somebody in the building. But this was as true for the children of Israel as it is for us today in the body of Christ. And so I want to look really quickly tonight uh, about, these, about a couple of principles that are going to help us regain lost ground. Now, I know it's 2020, and I know it's, it's a pandemic, and, and I know all this stuff. And, and the Bible refers to this losing ground it calls it backsliding. Uh, you, you get up and say backsliding, and people pick up their phones and start looking at you and won't talk to you no more And because nobody backslides in 2020, right, because we just, you know, we just lost some ground. We just overextended ourselves a little bit. But there's an old adage that I think is true and that fits here. There are three men, according to the adage, who deserve no pity. The unsecured creditor, the henpecked husband, and the man who will not try again. Three men who deserve no pity. That unsecured, that man that loans money without security, don't give him any pity. That henpecked husband that won't stand up to his bold and brazen wife, don't give that man any pity, right? And also the man who will not try again. Because we understand if you don't first succeed, you try, try, try again. And so one of the most admirable qualities in the life of any child of God is their ability to try again. 
We live by the power of Jesus Christ. We depend upon his power and his strength. But the reality is we fail. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to admit that, right? But here's the thing. When we fail, we've got to try again. The truth is no matter how spiritual you may or may not be, if you're going to gain some ground in the spiritual realm, you need to understand that the devil and the world and life itself is going to try to take that ground back from you. And so Joshua's given us here some very simple principles for regaining lost ground. So let's jump right into this. The first one is real simple. Tell your neighbor, you got to stick to the plan. We know this. You know this. God has a plan, right? He's got a plan for you. He knew the length of your life before you were formed in your mother's womb. He knows the hairs on your head or the hairs not on your head. He knows the thoughts in your mind, the hours that you're going to live on this, on this earth. He, he would not leave such a, ten, such a detail merely to chance. Jeremiah reminded Israel that God has a plan for them. He reminded them that he's got plans and all of those. We understand this. We grasp this from the word of God. The writer in Proverbs 19.21 says there are many devices in, the, in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. The English Standard Version says there's a lot of plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord God that's going to stand. And we've got to grasp that. We've got to understand that. Because according to the New Testament, we are, we are his workmanship. We are, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why? Because God prepared them beforehand. He had a plan, and he wants you and I to walk in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And so the truth is that it's easy to stay on course. It's easy to follow the plan of God when everything is going good. But when that apple cart of life gets upset, hello, when that thing turns over, it's just not as easy as you thought it was. And so here, well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about you got to follow the plan of God. And you're saying, well, Brother Roberts, I'm following the plan of God. I'm in church on Wednesday night. But the Bible here identifies two reasons why, why we as people do not stick to the plan. The, the Lord said to Joshua in verse 1 of chapter 8, he said, fear not, neither be dismayed. He said, Joshua, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Now, let me tell you, that's easier said than done, right? And so when I, when I read that, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Somewhere I've seen this before. And I began to search through Scripture, and I looked all the way back in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31 and verse 8. Here, the, the Moses is passing the mantle jo to Joshua, and here God is speaking through Moses. He says, and the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. And he gives him these same words, fear not, neither be dismayed. The, the NIV says it this way, don't be afraid and do not be discouraged. And I said, wait a minute, I, I think I've seen that somewhere else. And I went to the book of Joshua chapter 1. And, and here God said, have I not commanded you? Now they're, they're, they're getting ready to cross that Jordan River, and the Lord shows up to Joshua. He's spoken through Moses. Now he speaks through Joshua. And he said, here, I got a command for you. Be strong and have a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Now, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the drawer some days. My cookie don't always break just even. But... 
I'm kind of feeling like God's got something going on here, right? He, he said it this way. This is my command. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And here we find after their great victory and their, their horrible defeat, God says again to them, fear not, neither be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Why? Because fear and discouragement are the two main reasons why we get off the plan of God. Now, that's just earth-shattering. That's just something that you've never heard before. But see, what you've got to understand and what I need to understand is that God knew that if the people were going to be successful, they would have to deal with fear and they would have to deal with discouragement. Going to have to. There's no way around it. And so tonight we're going to take some time and look at these two things before we move forward. Now, fear, it's pretty easy to say have no fear, right? It's pretty easy to say, hey, don't be afraid, right? Because we understand, right? We understand. Paul wrote it to Timothy. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But the reality is this, that if we're going to go from living in provision to inheriting a promised land, you're going to have to deal with some fear. Why is that? Because fear is the most basic of our human instincts. Hello? If you want to see fear personified, show me a snake. Please don't show me a snake. But, but I promise you, it, 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 it's genuine. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of that. I don't deal with those little slimy creatures at all, right? But we need to understand that fear is a completely natural response in a lot of situations. But fear doesn't just stop there. Fear produces anxiety. Tell your neighbor, fear produces anxiety. Everybody's talking in a mask, and it sounded like, oh, wah, 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 right? Anxiety is a byproduct of fear. Jesus addressed anxiety in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. He tells the church, he said, take no thought, uh, therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient. There's enough evil of the day thereof. Why? Because here's what Jesus understood, that anxiety, which is a byproduct of fear, it affects our direction and it affects our focus. If you back up one verse and read verse 33, what Jesus says, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are you talking about, Jesus? He's talking about direction. He's talking about focus. And then he goes to the place of anxiety and says, Don't take no thought about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. See, fear is a natural result of failure, and failure produces anxiety, and anxiety takes up your focus and my focus off of the plan of God. I don't even have to ask you if it's happening in your life because I know that dealing with a pandemic that everybody's distracted, everybody's got their focus on something else. How many people left their car and forgot their mask? Come on, be honest. Yeah, okay. Why? Because we're... We're focused on something that we're not used to. We're focused. Why? Because God's got a plan for the church. God's got a purpose for the church. And the failure and the fear, they kind of grip us and they kind of get in this thing because fear creates chaos. It's a creator of chaos. And when things get chaotic, we tend to hide. I want to talk to us tonight. I'm telling you, there are some good folks that are losing, losing ground. Now, you know, I've got to be careful. You can't say backsliding in 2020. But the truth is we've slidden back. We've given back some of the things that we fought for as a church. We've given them back to the enemy because we've let fear and anxiety get in. 
Here they were. It was Jericho, man. You talk about shouting and dancing. Some of them Pentecostals was doing the huck and the buck. They were going crazy. I mean, the walls fell down flat. Not one person died. My goodness, and you go to little old AI, and the flesh gets involved, and the flesh goes, come on, Josh, it's okay, buddy. We don't need the whole 600,000. Let's just send two or 3,000, and they get whooped. They get beat down. Some of them even get killed, and they come back, and God brings judgment for sin. It's failure. doesn't matter whose fault it is. doesn't matter why it happened, but it's failure, and it begins to produce. It begins to produce anxiety, and it begins to produce chaos, and it begins to create all of this stuff. Because why? They begin to hide from God. How do I know that? Because that's what humanity does, right? Fear and failure are inseparably linked in humanity. It began in the garden when they, began, when they failed, when they sinned. It didn't matter whose fault it was. They began to hide themselves from the plan and the purpose of God. You see, fear, fear, it affects everyone around us. It's infectious. None of those people had failed. Hear what I'm telling you. Not one of those people standing there looking at AI had failed. That was Achan. That was Achan and his family. God judged that sin, but because, because that, that fear is so infectious, because God brought judgment upon the people that, that, that sinned, what happens is they get infected by fear and they become paralyzed. See, fear has this domino effect. Because there was sin in the camp. And here's what happens. The body is being affected by COVID because not everybody's where they need to be. I, I, I know we kept thinking, you know, this is going to be over soon. It's not going to last forever, but we're five months in now. And there's no end in sight. And so it's time for the church to be the church, whether we're in the building or out of the building, whether we're here or we're home. It's time for the church to be the church. And it's time for us to face the fear and quit giving ground to the devil. Come on, we fought too many fights. We prayed too many prayers. We worshiped at too many altars to give the ground back to the devil. It's real simple. I've just got to stick to the plan of God. That means I gotta pray and I gotta study and I gotta worship and I've gotta keep my, my mind and my spirit engaged and I can't be distracted. Why? Because fear is gonna bring that anxiety. What's gonna happen tomorrow? What's gonna go? No, no, no. Seek you first the kingdom of God and let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. Don't worry about what God's doing. God's got the church right where He wants the church. He's got the church where He wants the church. He's not up, upset about that, right? We keep thinking, why? Because fear has that domino effect. It stifles the thinking, and it begins to start restricting action. It creates indecisiveness, and it results in stagnation. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about some of you are sitting here watching me from home, and it's not your fault, nobody's fault, but it's creating indecisiveness in you. Should I go? Shouldn't I go? Should I be a part of the body? Shouldn't I be a part of the body? It's creating stagnation. Why? It's a, it's a spirit of fear, and you've got to address it. Why? Because fear is always going to result in lost opportunities, and it's going to begin to erode the confidence and begin a downward spiral, and we lose some of the things that we fought so hard for. 
I, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we need to do something unsafe. I'm not telling you that we need to br break every rule and guideline. I'm not a rule breaker. I'm not a guideline breaker. I think we ought to do everything we can to stay as safe as we can. But regardless whether I'm at home or I'm in the building, no matter if I'm at my computer watching or my TV or I'm sitting on the front row or the back row, I'm still the church of Jesus Christ. I'm still a part of the body. God still has a plan. I'm still engaged in that plan. I'm not going to give up that plan. I'm not going to let indecisiveness grip me. I'm not going to get caught in stagnation because the enemy wants to steal every bit of ground that we've gained. Probably the worst of it is that fear causes people to procrastinate. Procrastination. Oh, I'm not sure what I should do because we'd rather procrastinate than risk failure. Anybody in the house? And so we're losing ground because we've allowed that fear, right? And so here's what fear does. Fear causes us to change the plan. God said, go take AI. But the people said, Joshua, we don't need everybody. And if we're not careful, right, if we're not careful, we, we, we begin to change the plan of God. God didn't say send two or 3,000. God didn't say send half an army or some of the army. God said send the army down to Ai. And, and so the Bible says that there's a way that seems right unto man. There's a way that feels right. And so we've got to fight the spirit of fear. You know how we fight the, fear, the spirit of fear? Pretty simple. It's trust. Tell your neighbor, you got to trust God. you got to trust his plan. Notice what David said in Psalms chapter 27. He said it this way, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Most of you could, could, could re, just, re, you know what the, re, what the next part of that says, whom shall I fear? David goes on and says, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Listen, pastors said this, you need to grasp, to grasp this somewhere in your spirit. I'm not afraid of COVID. I don't want to get it. I, I, I'm probably one of the few that hasn't got it yet. I don't want it. I don't desire it, but I'm not going to fear it. Here's what verse, verse 2 says. When the wicked, even my enemies, come and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. That's not just a song, right? And so here's what he says. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. You know what that was? That was a conscious choice that David made. David didn't say a host wouldn't camp. He didn't say that. He said his enemies were going to come up to eat up his flesh and all of that craziness, right? He said they stumbled and they fell. But he said, my heart shall not fear. That wasn't God. That wasn't somebody else. That was David saying. He said, because why? Because though war is going to rise against me, in this will I be confident. Listen, the truth is we all fear failure. And when we fail, and we all do at times, right, it's a natural component of life. Here's how John put it. He said, my little children, this I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, if Brother Roberts was writing that, but when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Failure is a part of life. And I'm not going to let the enemy grip me to a place. I'm not going to let fear push me into a corner that I'm going to procrastinate and not move forward in God. Sin opened the door for fear, and the people were hesitant to continue. They were, they were walking. They had gone from provision to promise, and now here they are. They're, 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 they're stuck right here. The second part of that equation is discouragement. The second derailer of the plan of God is discouragement. Now, you, you got to hear me. 
Nothing takes the life right out of you more than discouragement. A, a discouraged spirit is a, is a powerless spirit. It's, you know this. It's an awful feeling. It feels like the wind has been knocked out of your soul. Now, I, I can imagine, I'm sure that we can imagine how, how disheartened the effect of the failure at AI must have been to these people. They, they had celebrated that great victory at Jericho, and now they're, they're mired in the defeat of AI. And so I, I began to think, you know, how discouraged must they have been? I, I kind of equated it to this. Earlier this year, I, I started my, my keto journey, my, my new lifestyle. And uh, as part of that, I, I joined this uh, Facebook group. It's called Keto for Beginners. Now, I'm not advocating Keto for Beginners, but actually it's got a lot of good recipes and some that my wife and I have found are not so good. But one thing I've noticed over the last few months is that on a regular basis, some poor soul falls completely off the keto bandwagon. And you hear a big loud thump as they hit the ground and discouragement sets in. I mean, most of them end up with some pretty big bumps and bruises. I mean, who knew that carbs and sweets could hurt so much, you know? I, I, did, I had no idea that chocolate could literally bruise you, but apparently it does. But about the time that someone puts themselves out there and admits that they've fallen off the keto bandwagon, somebody will chime in and say, you know, you just got to forget about that day. You got to get back on the plan. You got to... You know, there, there's an encourager that steps up. And you know what? Discouragement is just a part of life. It's going to happen to everybody, right? But their failure led them to a place where they lack confidence. And, and that sin and failure bring fear. And they begin to lose confidence. And they were so utterly discouraged. I, I, remember, I remember when I was younger how spiritually you'd go from a high to a low and a high to a low. And hopefully as you grow in the Lord, those highs get lower and those lows get lower, right? And you just kind of find a happy medium and you're not so much up and so much down. But the truth is they had gone from the ultimate victory to the ultimate defeat. It wasn't like they were defeated by some great army. They were defeated by the smallest nation in the promised land. This old story I found about discouragement, the story says that the devil was having a yard sale. Obviously, they weren't having COVID. He was getting rid of all of his tools, and the tools, they were laid out there, and he had priced them all for the public, and people were looking at them, and there were a lot of treacherous instruments laid out there, hatred and envy and jealousy and deceit, pride, lying, you know, all the tools of the devil, right? And over here on a separate table, was this one particular tool, but it was worn out. I mean, it was more worn than any of the others, and the price was really, really high. And so somebody went up to the devil and said, Devil, what is the name of that tool? And that, the devil replied, is discouragement. And the person said, Well, devil, why have you, why have you priced it so high? And the devil responded this way. He said, Because discouragement is more useful to me than all the others. Because I can pry open and get inside a person's heart when I can't get near them with any of the other tools. He said, That's why it's so badly worn, because I use it on everyone, and very few people really know that it belongs to me. Can I tell somebody that discouragement is still the devil's tool? Not, not many people are realizing that he is using it. Why? Because you're going to fall off the bandwagon. You're going to hit the ground at some point. Something discouraging is going to happen in your life. And so even the most blessed people, even the most successful, the most spiritually mature, they're going to face discouragement. 
Well, Brother Roberts, you're supposed to be encouraging me. I'm trying to help you if you'll let me just a bit. But in dealing with discouragement, you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Sometimes you've got to deal with discouragement with tenderness, and other times you've got to deal with discouragement in toughness. But either way, you've got to deal with discouragement. You can't tolerate it in your life. I watch people come in, and it's not even COVID, Brother Wagner. They come in, and they're so discouraged, they can't lift their hands. They can't lift their hands. Why? Because discouragement has to be dealt with. It must be fought. And so here's what happens. We begin to linger in discouragement. Hello? Right? It, it, it kind of looks like we're back in that pantry. We've got that box of cookies or that bag of chips. But that's this sense of defeat. It's, it's a hopelessness that saps the energy and steals the vision from the people of God. The reality is this, that when we feel discouraged, we want comfort. That's normal. That's natural, right? That's a natural response to discouragement. We should want comfort, right? But when, when, that, when that discouragement gets a foothold in the life and our comfort causes us to begin to avoid our fears rather than finding a way and mustering the courage to face them and overcome them, that's when the trouble starts. Because discouragement is a natural part of life. But it's not the will of God for you to live and to stay and to, to be discouraged all the time. Why? Because, because when discouragement is allowed to linger, it's just simply, it's, it's an indulgement in unbelief. It's no different than anger or, or, or unbelief or any other sin. Discouragement, when it is allowed to linger, can destroy you. What's this got to do with the plan? Discouragement. Oh, man, I just, I'm going through it. I just can't, I don't know what's going on. It's a natural part of life. You're going to deal with discouragement. But here's the key, brother Phil. You've got to deal with discouragement. Even as the fact you've got to face your fears, you've got to deal with discouragement. Right? Why? Because the Lord does not want us to be discouraged. In fact, he commands us not to be. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, Let not your heart be discouraged. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Because they were getting ready to go through the most discouraging experience of their life up until that point. And so Jesus' words, they're not just comforting words. They're, I've always looked at them as comforting, but the reality is this, they're a command. He knew that they were going to be tempted to be discouraged. Things were going to look bad. Pastor talked about it earlier when we were getting ready to pray. He knew that everything was going to look really negative, and he looked at them, and he didn't give them comfort words. He gave them a command. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let discouragement get a hold of you. In other words, don't let your heart be ruled by what you see, but let your heart be ruled by the promise and by the word of God that I've given to you. So easy, Brother Jones, to look around in our world and say, you know what? Man, I, this COVID has got me down. I'm so discouraged. I'm so upset. I'm just overwhelmed. I, I can't go to church. I can't go to there. And I can't do this. And I, can't, I just can't do nothing. I mean, right now, they won't even let me go to work, for crying out loud. It just seems like it's chaos all around, and it can be so discouraging. But listen, here's what Jesus said. You know, he said, this, these things are going to look so bad, but I'm giving you a command not to let discouragement take a hold in your life. 
Now, wait a minute. So there's got to be, if, if trust is the answer to fear, when I've got fear, I've got to trust. And that's my decision, just like it was David's decision. I've got to make a decision. I'm going to trust God, even though he doesn't look favorable to me. When discouragement comes, how do I? Jesus just said it. You just don't let it happen to you, right? But what's, what, what, what do he say? you got to read the rest of that. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Faith is the thing that helps you get through discouragement. Trust helps you overcome fear. Faith helps you come through discouragement. And this is what we got to understand, that, that, that go get that encouragement, right, that faith-fueled courage. That's what encouragement is. It's faith-fueled courage, right? Some of you, uh, you, need to, you need to understand what, what's going on here. They were, they were, they were so discouraged. They, were, they had so much fear. If little AI can beat us, what's going to happen when we hit the next king and the next city and the next thing? You know, God's brought us out here to die and all of this. And God says, no, no, you're missing my point here. I, I told you, I, I knew when you crossed over that river that you were going to deal with fear and you were going to deal with discouragement. And I gave you a commandment. You can't deal with fear. You've got to trust me. You've got to know I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I'm leading you somewhere. And I said, you know, you got to understand, I am going to be there ahead of you, and I will not fail you. Amen. And then we come to 2020. Pastor, I don't agree. I don't know. I think you should do more. I just think you should do less. Pastor, I, Pastor, I don't, Pastor, some of you need to shut your phone off and open a Bible and get on your knees and begin to pray and let God put some trust and some assurance and some faith back in your heart. You need some faith-fueled courage. You need some encouragement that comes in the Holy Ghost and not from the news media. Brother Roberts, that's mean. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to help you and understand God's got a plan. And if you're fearful right now, he's got the church right where he wants the church. He's got the body right where he wants the body. And what happens is we let fear discourage us. We let fear move us into a place where we're no longer following the plan of God, but we're out there on our own. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. I, I'm, I'm terrified. You quit being scared of all of this mess. Put your faith in God. Put your trust in the Lord. Get back in the Bible. Believe God. Trust God. The church is not falling apart. The church is not going down. Last week I told you that they had a, I was talking about the anchor, and I said, you know what, they found all of these anchors in the catacombs under Rome. Do you know they had church in catacombs? I've read Fox's Book of Mortars. I've read the Bible. I've read a lot of old documents. I haven't seen anywhere where they complain about not having air conditioning or color TV or wearing a mask or anything. Because they read the Bible when the Lord said, fear not, don't be discouraged, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Quit looking with your eyes and start focusing on the promise. I brought you across the river. I'm going to take you through. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on his plan. Amen. I'm not going to allow those things to choke my walk with God. The key, I think, is found not in Joshua chapter 8, but in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. He starts it in Deuteronomy. He starts that verse in Deuteronomy and the one in Joshua 1 with this. 
He said, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to be there ahead of you. And somehow we get to 2020 and we don't feel like God's out ahead of coronavirus. And we don't feel like God's out before us. And so you need to understand, God said, I am with you. He repeatedly said, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. But I am going to be there before you get there. And I wish somebody right now would just lift a hand and say, God, I'm trusting you right now. I believe, God, that you're here ahead of us. My trust is in you, God. My faith is in you. I bind fear. I rebuke discouragement in the name of Jesus. So, come on, somebody, be the church for a minute. I bind the spirit of fear over a living hope church. I bind it over the people of God. I take authority over a spirit of discouragement. I release uh, that faith-fueled encouragement, God, upon the people of God. I rebuke every... <coughs> in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Sorry. The second part, the second point that I would make of regaining ground was found again in verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, take the, take the whole army. Joshua chapter 7, and I've talked about this, that natural response to a spiritual situation. They weren't just fighting battles. They were inheriting the promise of God. And so this is how the flesh fights. The flesh looks at the situation and says, this is what I need to win. But the spiritual battle is never that way. And so the Lord says it this way. Take all the people of war with you. This time, Joshua, I want you to make sure you take all the fighters with you. See, here's the key. Corporate participation is still the plan of God. And I know that our E family is watching from home today, and you may not feel right now like corporate participation is the plan of God. But I promise you a corporate participation. Listen, victory requires that every one of us join arms. Victory requires that we work together. Because my Bible tells me that one will put 1,000 to flight and two will put right 10,000 to flight. That's a scriptural principle. It's not a fairy tale. And so we've got to believe that. Paul, Paul told the New Testament church, you've got to put on the whole army of, armor of God right? We've heard this. We understand this. We grasp this. And so it's easy because the enemy wants to separate and divide. That's how, he, that's how he works. That's how he separates the church out. But I know this. I've talked to a lot of different soldiers, and they made this statement. I'm not fighting for my country or even for a flag, but I'm fighting for the man that's right here next to me. I'm fighting for my brother on either side. And this is the mentality the church has to get. We're not fighting with each other. We're fighting for each other. The church can become so easily institutionalized. What do you mean by that, Brother Roberts? I mean, there are some good people that don't feel like they can pray unless they're in this room. Well, I, they don't feel like they can worship unless they're in this room or one similar to it. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, and I, I'll be honest, I'm being transparent. I hate online church. I'm not going, I don't dislike it. I hate it. 
a four-letter word, H-A-T-E. I don't like it at all. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. And if I don't have to do it, I, I'm not going to do it. I, some of you are like, yeah, you're right, Brother Roberts, I know. And, and some other folks are like, man, this is the coolest thing since sliced cheese and bread. I, good on you, right? But here's the thing. The flesh always fights against each other. It points out differences. But the nature of God's spirit, right, that, that paraclete, that Holy Ghost, is the one that comes alongside and helps one another. It's the purpose of God to help one another. It's one of the most integral parts of God's plan for the church, church to be unified. You know this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. Right? We understand that. We grasp that. Why? Because you read on in verse 4. There's only one body. There's only one spirit. There's only one calling. There's only one hope. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. Right? We, get, we grasp all of that. But what we sometimes miss is that unity is a gift from God. It's not a luxury item. It's not like picking out heated seats in a new vehicle. You cannot, you will not be successful in the kingdom of God without unity. Why? Because God gave unity to the church. Put up verse 3 for me, sis. Verse 3 says, endeavor to keep the unity, not my unity, not your unity, not their unity, the unity, right? Why? Because we're called to maintain unity. Even during a pandemic, even in a time when we're separated. Why? Because we're, he says you've got to be eager. You've got to be endeavoring to maintain the spirit, the unity of the spirit. Now, notice this. We're not told to find unity. We're not told to create unity. We're not even told to produce unity. We're told to maintain the unity. Not our unity, but his unity. We're told to preserve it and to uphold it and to keep it and to sustain it. Why? Because God created unity. God is a God who is a unified God. He prayed that in John chapter 17. Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. He put unity into the church, and he gave it to the church. And we've got to understand, listen, we've got to work together. Whether you're in the building or not in the building, we are in this thing together. Amen. I know the world is saying that. And it's become this kind of tongue-in-cheek thing. We're all in this together, yet we're all in the pandemic together. But we are in the church. We're in the body together. And we're working together. We're striving not against one another but with each other. I'm praying for my brother and I'm praying for my sister. And I'm lifting up those that are in the building and those that are not in the building. Just because they're not here doesn't mean we don't need them. Just because you're home doesn't mean you don't need us, right? We're one body that's fitly framed by, put together by God, right? That's the tactic of the enemy, to divide and conquer. He wants to separate the body. He wants to divide the body. But just like it's my decision to fight fear and my decision to not let discouragement take, last longer than it should in my life, it's my decision to be unified with the body. he knows if he can separate you from the body, if he can move you away from that plan of God, he can divide you. He can separate you. He can put you out in that place where you don't want to be because we're in this thing together. Somebody needs to grasp what I said to you tonight. It's not my job to produce unity. It's not my job to create unity. It's my job to even define unity. It's just my job to maintain it. It's my purpose. It's part of God's plan. I've got to maintain the unity. Why? Because I need to take the whole army.
There's such a divisive spirit in our world. So divisive. It just wants to come into the church and go, well, you know, Pastor, you just, you just do what you want to do, and we're going to do what we want to do, and, and you just do what you want to do, and we're going to do it. And, and everybody, it's, it's all about what I want and what you want. No, no, no. Listen, we're still a body of believers. We're still under the authority of the Word of God. We're still bound together by a common experience of salvation in Jesus Christ. We're still united in the Holy Ghost. You don't talk in tongues differently than I do. We've got the same Holy Ghost. There's only one spirit. It's coming alongside. It's an encourager. It's a lifter. We've got to understand that. Why? Because the enemy, you know, he, he wanted to separate them. He wanted to start blaming and pointing the finger and say, if this hadn't happened and that hadn't happened, this wouldn't happen. And he got all, all this craziness ensues from that. But, you know, Listen, we're one body. We're fitly framed. God puts you right where he wants you in the body. Don't give up on God. Trust in him. Trust his plan. Believe his plan. Be encouraged by the spirit of God and by the power of God. Pastor, we had a move of God here Sunday. The house was not full, but it wasn't empty either. And we had a move of God. God spoke in this place, and the Holy Ghost began to move. And there was a young man and a young woman who began to weep in the presence of God. Why? We had a move of God. Why? Because this was not about us or about them and us and them and what I want and what they want. This was about, this is about the body. Why? Because there's some people that have lost some ground because they've separated themselves from the body. It's called backsliding. I know you can't say that. I take it back. Forgive me. I didn't mean backsliding. They've just lost ground. Because they've let the devil come in and move them. You want some victories. You want some ability. You love some people that were hard to love. And now the devil and the, the enemy's coming in and he's saying, no, no, well, we're all separate. We all do our own thing because there's a pandemic. And he instills fear and discouragement where God commanded no fear and no discouragement. Where God spoke to the church and said, don't let it happen to you. And he came in and he said, you know what, we're going to put a line here and say, they caused this and they did this. And no, 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 listen, this is one body. My hand has touched some things that I didn't want it to touch. I've touched some hot things and I've touched some cold things. And it's got, sometimes my hand, Brother Barry, has done things that I didn't want it to do, uncommanded. Not often, but once in a while. It's reached out, right? And it's done some things that I didn't want, but I was not mad at my hand. I was mad at me. Because I know that's just a part of my body. And we've got to understand that everything in the body is not operating the way that I think it ought to. It's not an us and them. We're part of the same body of believers. We've got to understand that. We can't let the enemy come in and divide us and separate us. We're working together. My job is to keep the unity. My job is to maintain it. Well, that's good for you, Brother Roberts, but I'm at home. Brother Silvati's got his fuzzy slippers on. He texted me and told me, and I don't have to come to church. I can wear my fuzzy slippers and sit in front of my TV. You can do what you want to, but you're still part of the body of Jesus Christ. Don't let the enemy separate you. Don't let the spirit of division come in. Don't let it break down your anointing. Don't let it cause you to lose that purity and holiness that you have in Jesus Christ. The third point. And I think it's the one that I probably like the least. He says, arise and go up to Ai. Um, Lord, we just went to Ai. 
and things didn't work out so good there. Um, God, you think maybe we could take a different direction? It's a pretty big land. We could come back to Ai after, <clears throat> you know, we've built up a little strength. It's kind of a little deja vu moment, God, going back to Ai. I mean, you know, we just got whooped up there, right? But you, you got to understand, God is going to put you right back in the same spot over and over and over again because he's not worried about what you think ought to be done. He says, let's go back to that place of failure and let's restart the process right there. And the people are like, no, 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 God, we, we can just go around, we can, we can you know. And, and so God uses this word arise. That word arise is, is used in the Bible over 256 times. In other words, that, that word means this. It means stand up. It means get up. And he's literally telling his people, it's time for you to get back in the fight. What are you talking about? I'm talking to some good folks that are sitting at home tonight watching online. We love you. You're a part of the body. I'm talking to some good folks that are sitting in chairs tonight. It's time for you to get up again and get back in the fight. I'm giving you a principle. I'm giving you a principle. You've got to get back on the plan of God, and you've got to get your unity back with the body. You've got to start preserving that thing, but you have got to get up again and get back in the fight. God told Abraham, Abraham, get up, and you walk through the land. What are you talking about, God? This ain't my land. No, no. Everywhere that you set the sole of your feet, I'm going to give it to you. But you got to get up first, and you got to go walk. Well, God, there's some people that own that land, and they may not like me and my, my horde traipsing through it. Don't you worry about them. I'm giving you the land. I got a plan, Abraham. You got to trust the plan. You got to work in unity. You got to maintain a connection between you and me and my purpose. And now, yeah, Abraham, you got to get your old 100-year-old body up, and you got to begin to walk because I've got a promise that some people are going to inherit. But Ain't none of it going to happen until you stand up, until you get back up and you get moving. You know what Lot was told? Lot, get up. Lot, arise. Get a hold of your wife. Get a hold of your daughters and flee to a place of safety. Why? Because God is a get up God. The apostle Paul on the road to Damascus is knocked off his horse and a voice speaks to him and says, Paul, arise. It's time for you to stand up. It's time for you, Paul, to go back into the city. I got something. I'm going to tell you why. Because he's a get up God. He looked at Matthew, the tax collector, and he said, Matthew, he said, follow me. And the Bible says, Matthew arose. Same word. He got up and began to follow God. I'm telling you, it's time for the church to get up again. It's time for the people of God to rise up one more time and get back involved in the purpose and the plan and the power and the anointing of God. Rising up is an integral part of who we are. It was Peter on the day of the Pentecost that looked at those believers and said, don't you understand God was able to rise or to raise Jesus up from the dead? And we can look at a circumstance and a situation in life and say, you know what, this is bad. This doesn't look good. This is a pandemic. This is horrible. This doesn't look good to me. And God said, it's time for you to stand up and be the church. It's time for you to get up. 
But the reality is this. In our humanity, we get off the plan. Fear creeps in. It's a natural response. It's not abnormal. It's not even wrong. It's just part of life. But what we've got to do is recognize what it is, and we've got to put trust in its place. And that anxiety begins to work on that domino effect to begin to work in our life, and we, get, we lose our focus and our, we get distracted, and we begin to focus on masks and pandemics and what's going on and who's got it and who don't. And all of a sudden, and God said, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I've got a church here. I'm building a kingdom of God here, and you've got to get on the plan. And then discouragement settles in, and it's a natural part of life. When unfavorable circumstance happens, discouragement is a part of who we are. It's just what. But the problem is some people just want to live there. They just want to stay there. We've got to deal with those feelings. We've got to fight discouragement. We can't get that bag of chips and sit down and just wallow and wallow and wallow in discouragement. Why? Because God said, let not your heart be troubled. You've got to overcome. He said, it's going to look the bleakest it's ever been, but I'm about ready to do the greatest thing I've ever done. I've got ready to show you something. And it's not going to look good. And discouragement is going to slip in. But you don't understand how bad it's going to look. But I'm not worried about how bad it's going to look. you got to focus on my promise and not what you're just seeing with your eyes. He said, you know what? I'm putting a body together. And your job is to maintain unity. Your job is to be a part of that body. That's how the plan works. But now I'm not satisfied there. I need you to stand up and be the church in the last day. I need you to tell somebody that Jesus still saves. I need you to find a place of prayer in your home. I need you to worship in a living room if necessary. Because my humanity and your humanity can get distracted and change the plan of God. God said, no, no, I got to. You go back and read, there's so many scriptures and I on purpose didn't. Didn't put a single one in my notes because the tendency of humanity is to backslide. Not, I don't, I'm not being mean. Your humanity, my humanity, everybody. When you get to a place of comfort, the tendency is just to relax. And the pandemic has come in and it has changed our normal to something else. And there have been too many good people that have just got a little too relaxed. And they've backed off the things of God. And they've become so opinionated that they want to fight a spiritual battle with fleshly means. And God said, no, no, you can't do that. It's your choice whether or not you're going to trust me or you're going to trust fear. It's your choice whether you're going to have faith or you're going to let discouragement rule in your life. It's your choice whether or not you're going to maintain unity or you're going to go try to find your own. It's your choice whether you're going to stand up or you're just going to sit there and wait till this thing passes. I want somebody to know God's not waiting until a pandemic passes. He's going to have church now. He can pour out the Holy Ghost now. People can get the Holy Ghost with a mask over their face. People can be born again and baptized in water with a mask if we need to. It's time for the church to be the church. It's time for the people of God to regain some lost ground. Devil, you're not taking one more square inch, but I'm going to stand up in the last day and put my plan with God. It's time for us to regain. Talking to good people that I love and I care about, it's time for us to get a hold again. 
It's time for some of you to dig in again. It's time for some of you to get back on that reading plan and get back on that prayer plan and get back and get connected again to the body and let the Holy Ghost begin to speak to you and let you become sensitive again to that voice of God. It's time for the body to regain that place. The rodeo has the old saying, they call it cowboy up. When you get bucked off that horse, don't matter whose fault it is, your fault, the horse's fault, or the clown's fault. You've just got to get back on that horse one more time and ride. Because just like water, the tendency in the spirit of man is to flow downhill spiritually. We've got to be reminded constantly in times of challenge and in times of victory that our source and our strength is Jesus Christ. I don't want to be insensitive to anybody sitting at home or in, the, or in the building tonight, but it's time for us to be the body. God can inhabit the praise in your living room just as well as he can in this sanctuary. Come on, God can show up in the prayer time just as well as he could if you were walking through the building, and God can speak to you when you open the word just as well. But it's your decision and my decision whether or not I'm going to focus and get on the plan that God has. Let's pray together, Father. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.